Even the name of this movie is a crude joke, so this is your first of many warnings about this one being explicit, because we're going to swear a lot on today's that song from that movie. Can I get a whoop whoop? Rewind. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your, this one is definitely going to be explicit, host Dietrich. And today we're joined by the sound of a dying giraffe, Alex. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> that you've had practice doing that. You've definitely had practice. I've had plenty of years practice doing that noise. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, we're also joined by the guy who farted once on the set of Blue Lagoon, Ben. <laughs> I think you can tell we're all excited about this. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, this is this is a special one for me. So with that in mind, we're skipping the What Have You Been Watching segment this week because the answer's the Euros. So, today's episode, and I can't stress this enough, is our explicit review of <laughs> South Park, Bigger, Longer and Dunkirk. So, Ben... Time for some history. So we're going back to June 1999. The biggest... (laughs) I'm not even lying. The biggest news of this month was that Dido released her debut album, No Angel, becoming the second biggest selling album of the 2000s in the UK. I actually knew that. Yeah, I actually knew that already. Why? Because it came up once, it came up once uh, in the last year. Weirdly, I won't, I won't go into the details, but it actually came up. We were looking, we were looking at <laughs> when the you list. at your Dido party. <laughs> yes, we were looking at the list of the best-selling albums of the noughties, and it was a shock to see that it was number two. So, therefore, if I was to ask you what was number one, Alex, you'd know, wouldn't you? <sighs> yeah, you see, I can't actually remember um, what number one was. Do you any guesses? Um, Spice Girls. My thought was that it was Adele, but that might have been the 2010s. Nah, James Blunt's Back to Bedlam. James Blunt, Back to Bedlam. Should have known that, Alex. I should have. Well, like I said, I looked at the list. I saw the list. <laughs> saw the list. In other news, the largest jailbreak in Brazilian history at the Putin Maximum Security Prison occurred, in which 345 prisoners ran out from the main gate. And in the ensuing manhunt, two fugitives were killed, and five innocent bystanders were accidentally jailed. So, uh, I don't know what the balance is there. Oh, damn, we've killed a few. Let's just grab a few more and take them back, even out the numbers. It probably was a cover-up. It probably was. I mean, yeah, it definitely was. In more direct to this podcast's uh, purpose news, a fantastic, brilliant, amazing film that influenced me in many ways, probably not all for the best, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. The film involves the famous foursome, for those aware, of Stan, Kenny, Kyle and Cartman, as they attempt, and successfully do, sneak into an R-rated film by Canadian television personalities Terence and Philip, and emerge with what we shall say an expanded vocabulary. Um, When outraged Americans try to censor the film, the controversy becomes a call to war with, yes, that's right, Canada. And only the kids may be able to get them out of this sticky situation. Like I said, this was an incredibly influential film for me as a child. (laughs) (laughs) I've got vivid memories of just discussing it with Alex in our primary school playground. Um, Which is bad. (laughs) Which is bad, yes, probably. So this, for, I guess, people's awareness, 1999, so we would have been eight at the time. 
of its release. Probably maybe watched it around nine or ten on probably one of your brother's bootleg copies, probably. We actually had an official VHS copy of this film. Oh, la da Someone's oh. doing well. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into this, guys, what do you think of this film? It's great. It's It's an absolutely fantastic film. Possibly one of the best movie musicals of all time, I would say. No, it is the best. I don't know. It's between that and Greece for me. But um, yeah, I actually watched this again like a month ago, just on the limb because it popped up on my Netflix recommendations. And it still completely holds up, even though it's 20 years old now. Oh yeah, definitely. So I absolutely love this film. I was never a massive fan or even really a fan at all of the TV show, but this this film is fantastic. Yeah, I would definitely say this is the best musical of, of all time. And I don't even think that's being controversial. <laughs> in the <laughs> sense, best musical? <laughs> it is the best musical of all time because I, well, I, how I rate it in the, my favourite films of all time, and it's a musical, therefore it's the best musical. Alex, you mean like movie musical? Yeah, yeah yes. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously right. I've not gone to see it on stage. It should be on stage. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, because like, before I tell you about the film, when I was listening to the songs, I don't know if you guys came across this as well, I was listening to the songs on YouTube, and like a university in America had done a live action oh version God. of the musical. <laughs> wow. Oh. And it wasn't bad. Like it was really <laughs> low budget, really low budget. I'm like talking like, it could, like, like it couldn't have got worse, like almost like they must have been doing it as a joke. Bad. Oh wait, I think it's ringing bells. This is ringing bells to me. The performances are absolutely outstanding. Like the, the Sheila Brovlowski is like on on point. I can't even explain it. You'll have to go and look look for it. It's amazing. But yeah, film. Like I said, it's kinda of, it's one of those films that you know you shouldn't have been watching at the time. We were eight, so possibly we were nine or ten when this actually made it into our eyes. But you've seen it like a hundred times. Like I feel like I've seen this film literally a hundred oh, yes, times. Definitely. Um and like I think I think we were aware of the T V show at the time. I th- I think I, I knew of it, but I hadn't really seen it. But I can't really remember much of the TV show before no. the film. So the film kind of is the TV show to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. You've said it's the best musical of all time, Ben. <laughs> Which may be a touch too far, but maybe not. Because I think it's not, <laughs> like you say, it's not that controversial a thing to say almost. It's almost not a parody of musicals, is it? It's like oh, it's, no, a, it's like a comic that. homage to musicals. And I think, Trey pa- I think that Trey Parker has like a degree in music production. Yeah, he's got musical background, music yeah. Hence, they both. I mean, they both did Book of Mormon. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, like Team America is a, a musical as well, in a slightly different way. <laughs> in a, but, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like it's just, it's just, it's just great. It's great. Yeah, I think it's probably less controversial and more like considered like sacrilege to say this is the best musical <laughs> because it's not in that classic mold. But like, I mean, this is a, it's a critically acclaimed movie. You know, people do see it as a big old smut fest, but. There's a, there is a point to it. There is a message. And I think that's kind of summarizes South Park in general. There's yeah, a clever point behind the stupid ways in which they put it forward. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a really well-constructed plot, which allows them to do loads of stupid gags yep. around it. Definitely. And yeah, like you say, they take their music very seriously in like just like the rhyme, the verses. the um, I mean, the musical accompaniment in the background, it's like a huge band playing these they're not small little pieces um they're, they're really really detailed and, and all sorts of different styles as well i yes, think as we'll come on to like like they don't just stick to like one note do they it's like it's like they literally go through the entire back catalog of broadway in the west end and sort of like pick and yeah. choose like elements from everything it's, it's that's what probably what makes it so good i suppose yeah and they've openly admitted to those inspirations les mis oklahoma south pacific you know these classic classical musicals 
and they, they're not saying that they're disregarding them. They're just using those kind of um, light motifs, those styles, and just applying again a bit of stupidity to it. It's all done with love. Oh yes, yes, definitely. The, I think the funny thing is, like we say, we saw this at an incredibly young age. That's in a way, I think, the cleverness of this message because that's the whole point. At the time, there's like a, a fan theory that the success of Wild Wild West at the box office is because people or kids were paying to go see Wild Wild West and sneaking in to see this or American Pie, which were the two <laughs> R-rated films of the time. And, this, and Trey Parker and Matt Stone have sort of purported this quite a lot, that a lot of people went to see Southbound but paid to see Wild Wild West. <laughs> which, I mean, to be fair, that fits and that's the whole, in a way, that's what's going on in the movie. So much onus and emphasis is put on that kids can't see this it's going to turn them into wild maniacs that only you know push for violence and you know like pornography and all these disgusting things that i guess the um liberal adult um, population seem to think and yet we turned out okay Uh, and most people do but there's a blame to be put on something and they chose the most hilarious and (laughs) sort of simple option of the film to blame canada how many times have you seen the onus or the blame put on video games, on rap music, on various movies for why a certain event has happened? Yeah, and and not long after this film, obviously, was Columbine, and, and that yeah, was all yeah. sort of, it's, it's kind of play, like exactly the same thing that happens in this film, isn't it? That, that, that Definitely. the parents go after heavy metal music and things like that. And yeah. I think in America, there's like quite a big history of, um, I think it's Tipper Gore, who's Al Gore's um, wife in the sort of eighties went after like hair metal and death metal and stuff like that as well in a really similar way. Who like possibly who Sheila Brovlasky is based off in this film, I think. But uh, maybe, yeah. And you know, it's something that happens across the world. I think like yes, it was like Mary. Was it Mary Whitehouse? I think in sort of the seventies in this country was like she was like sort yeah. of like a, a a teacher at school and she kind of went on a campaign to sort of censor TV and stuff like that. Yeah, so. and I think they they do so well to point fun at that argument and do it so well and so effectively because for the same reasons so many people again that um sort of uh, liberal family groups in america tried to you know ban this film tried to get it out because they're thinking it's going to you know inspire a, a renegade youth of the future that who knows what they're going to get up to spoilers they didn't get up to much parker and stone fought vigorously to get an r rating for this film whereas the m PAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, really wanted to give it an NC-17. So for UK listeners, R-rated yeah. is a bit similar to R. Kind of, what, like you can go see it with an, with an adult. So if you're under... If... R-rated is the equivalent of 15, except you can be under 15 if you're with an adult. Right. And then 18 is NC-17. Yeah, NC-17. Because yeah. in this country, it was a 15, South Park, uh, the cinema. Much of what the MPAA did not like about the film was the cursing. Not some of the scenes in which there's like, um, basically the um, German shit porn, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) Or an actual image of a a sort of bestiality, because there is the horse fucker. Uh, card that is shown to Cartman when he's trying to swear. They had more (laughs) problems with the language than the actual imagery. They they went back and forth so much time. I think apparently it ended up being sort of set that they were going to give it an NC-17 and a 
Comedy Central exec who were funding the film basically had an absolute slag fest at them over the phone, just berated them, and eventually they changed it to an hour without having to change anything in the film. And the <laughs> director of the MPAA, MPAA at the time said many years later it was like his biggest regret that he didn't give this film an NC-17. <laughs> like, come on, just let it rest. It just seems staying up at night, just kind of swirling his brandy. Oh, what a life. The best fact of this film, Guinness Book of Records, this is the film with the most profanity used ever in an animated film. 399 swear words, including 146 uses of the word fuck, uh, along with 199 <laughs> offensive gestures and 221 acts of violence. That's right, they've been counted. But yeah, as we're saying, this film received very good reviews. Unfortunately, Roger Ebert only gave it two and a half stars, and I still don't forgive him. And much of the positive reviews was for the soundtrack, for which there is 12 songs in total, two are very brief, and so we're going to cover 10. This is the biggest task we've ever undertaken on this podcast. So we're going to have to go at it at a bit of a pace. So the first song for the film South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut, is Mountain Town, also known as Quiet Mountain Town. It is the song that basically acts as the introduction to South Park as a place and our four main characters, Stan, Kyle, Cartman and Kenny. And the song does have a reprise later, but the introduction is a very soft, melodic, gentle introduction that is very much easing its way into what's about to come. What do you think of this as an opener? It's excellent, really. <laughs> it's an opening number. <laughs> just because, well, well, for many reasons, but the main one, because it just packs so much exposition in there about what is, is to come and introduces the characters in a way that you don't, you literally don't have to have seen a TV show. I know that most people who have seen it would have, <laughs> so it's fine. But I feel like they just do it very, like they introduce the town so well in that first song that it just, I don't know, I just I just think it's great. And I think, like you said, uh, Oklahoma was an inspiration. I think it's clearly, it's similar it's to... It's 100%, is it? Oh, what a beautiful one. Oh, what morning. a beautiful one from the beginning of Oklahoma, definitely. It's, it's playing off that. Yeah, there's some parts I just really remember, such as the, get out of my way. And, of course, the final <laughs> the final <laughs> line from the, the theatre owner, now. So those two I really <laughs> enjoyed listening to again. Another thing that I really liked about this was I was reading the lyrics and the Kenny lines, obviously just like muffled sound within the actual song, actually have words. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can't remember what they are because I didn't write them down, but there are actual lyrics. So if you want to find out, check that out. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like, the exposition, like there's the whole bit that like, it introduced you to the idea that Saddam Hussein's going to be in it when he's on the TV. <laughs> Ike being Canadian as well. They make that very clear within the song that he's um, adopted. Um, yep. And then obviously Mrs. Brofalosky's concern about like, the morality of the children, which comes up back in a very big way. As Kenny's mum says that if he doesn't go to uh, he'll go to church, yes, he'll go to hell. Exactly, so that comes back up as well. So it just, I just think it really peppers the, the seeds for the, the foreshadowing. Later. Yeah, it's it's just brilliant, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know what a redneck Meshuggah quiet mountain town <laughs> is. <but laughs> there we go. I think Alex has absolutely nailed that, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic song. I think it's a song in my head that makes me want to walk down the street. It's got <laughs> yeah. a really good pace to it, and it makes me sort of feel happy and bright about the world, even though a lot of it is 
<laughs> the people around him, as we've already said, like going, get out of my way. <laughs> of those other points, I think it's, like Alex, you broke down the lyrics really well. I think my favorite bit is like um, where they're saying, off to the movies, we shall go where we learn everything that we know because the movies teach us what our parents don't have time to say. <laughs> and I, I think that is, again, summarizing a lot of this film. Like it was that generation that was raised on MTV. It was so influential, like South Park, Beavis and Butthead, you know, the, like the Osbournes coming through at that time. It was There was so much TRL in America, especially. They were just, you know, hooked onto it. Um, and yeah, I think it just captures it really well at the time. Yeah, and as well at that point you've made there, Ben, it really is poking fun at the idea of film again, isn't it? That the parents don't have time to teach the kids and yet they're the ones who are complaining that TV is making the children the way they are. When really, if, <laughs> yeah. you know, the idea that if the parents actually just took the time, they wouldn't have to learn. You know, like it's just all of that. Yep. It's just so well laced within the song. It's really yeah. good. It's really all packed in yeah. there. It really is, yeah. And some people have made references to this being quite similar to a lot of Disney songs. And this one's quite similar to Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Of like uh, kind of like yes. some of the you know the wispy sort of opening. Do you kind of get that? Yeah. Little South Park fact is that this is the first time ever that Kenny McCormick is seen with Ice Hood. I mean, there was only like three seasons yes. before this, so South Park was actually at this time on a bit of a downturn. Like they were worried that it was kind of coming to its end of its popularity, and like Trey Parker and Matt Stone had both said like you know last year we were just we were the it thing, and now we're on the way out, and they wanted to make a film quickly now while it was still popular. Little do we know what we're on like now, 26 seasons or something like that. It's been such uh, influential in like the zeitgeist of like picking up on little cultural turns and social commentaries. It's really developed itself. Yeah, because they, they write each episode it, within like a, a week. A week, yeah, within the week before. It's just really allowed them to stay relevant and current because like you look at his, you know, it's his rivals, The Simpsons, Family Guy or whatever, and they've just taken such a nosedive where... Some people might argue that South Park isn't as good as it always was, but I would say that it's it's still relatively, you know, it's still good, <laughs> unlike The Simpsons and Family Guy, which aren't. But yeah, I think this is a fantastic start, and it's only going onwards. And we're going on to a bit of a turn here, because the second song of the movie, South Park, is Uncle Fucker, which is a song sung by two individuals known as Terence and Philip, uh, Canadian performers, shall we call them. This is in the movie that the boys are wanting to see called Asses of Fire. <laughs> Brilliant name. Again, there's a lot of elements in this film that are parodies of Oklahoma, especially like the ending with, the, you know, Uncle Fucker coming on with the exclamation point and like all the crowd singing in the street. They clearly had a lot of inspirations for that as their opening, although the language is maybe not the same. Um, what do you guys think of this one? Because this one's throwing, throwing in the expletives. Yeah, well, Alex described the first song as a great song. And again, this is a great song. <laughs> it's going to be a recurring theme, I think, for this entire podcast. It is a great song, but especially in the sense, I think this is where you sort of really get the feeling Parker and Stone know their way around a musical number and a, and a song progression, because this could have just easily fallen flat. Oh, yeah. With just, oh, they're just repeating the word fuck or fucker over and over again. But it, it, it stays funny and fresh all the way until the end. It keeps landing. And, and knows when to get out of there before it's not funny again. Even the fart bits. <laughs> yeah, even the musical farts. Are, are we also talking about the remix? You get, well, that is my, that is my first note. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you can bring it up if you'd like. So, there, well, there is a remix version, which is known as Info, Shut Your Fucking Face, Uncle Fucker, <laughs> which was released as a single. <laughs> <Was> it? <laughs> yes, it was, yeah. With slightly different lyrics. 
They, but in the film version, they don't. They actually censor the swearing, don't they? Because it, it's like, but it, 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 you know, it's like that. They, they actually censor the swearing, which is, um, and like it has kind of like. I'm telling you now, we won't stop. <laughs> and it kind of uh, has like a proper like uh, rap video going on with like women in bikinis and stuff, and they're wearing like silver tux, like silver suits and stuff. It's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Dee's made a really good point about the. The first song, like the, the, about the, ori- the the original version of the song, not the remix, in that it just it could have so easily been like a throwaway gag that that was also a musical and like it was a bit of a joke song, but they just if they full on go in for it again, yes, and I think, yes, and and it never it never falls flat, and I think what they do really well, I mentioned already with the kind of the get out of my way line in the first song, but. They just throw in lines within, like lines of dialogue, really well within the songs as well to break them up. That prevents the songs from becoming stale because they're not just mm-hmm. one note mm-hmm. full on blasting at you. And none of the songs yep. are really very long either. They kind of, I, I noticed this from listening to the full soundtrack, and um, none of them really go over much beyond two minutes. No, which I think they again, pack a punch, then go, don't they? Yeah, and I think it allows them to put so many songs in there, and it just just keeps the film. Move, ticking along, doesn't it? And, Definitely, there's, like, and there's an incredible pace to this film. Yeah, I think it's going to be something we say for all of them because I don't think there are many duds in this film. There's, um, no, there's, there isn't. There isn't. No. There isn't. I still haven't decided what I'm going to say is the best one. <laughs> I know it's hard. This is incredible. Like I say, best musical. There's no duds. And yeah, I love in the like in the film, all the adults in the cinema actually leave, and the only people left are the kids. <laughs> Um, because it's enticed them with the language. And yes, I think this was probably the song that I probably shared most with Alex on the playground. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably, yeah. And we've done okay. I can just remember you walking in constantly um, on a morning and saying, um, I've seen the South Park movie, who wants to touch me? (laughs) (laughs) Quick fact. The song was originally going to be called In Full, Motherfucker. But the MPAA told them, Parker and Stone, that it would receive an NC-17 if they did this. So they swapped it to Uncle Fucker with F-U-C-K-A, which they actually admitted later on, a few years later, that they were so much funnier. Yeah, it's much funnier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, thank you, MPAA. On to the third song, which is It's Easy, MK. Uh, maybe more MK, <laughs> if I was doing it in better, the... Uh... Better. <laughs> In the tribute tribute to Mr. Mackey. Uh, So yes, this is a song performed by the school counsellor after the boys and all the other class have seen this film and there is questions about the language they're using. So Mr. Mackey tries to teach the kids of South Park Elementary how to maybe use more refined language in his style. Mostly using alternative words, including don't say fuck, just say okay. I personally think this is the most clever song. <laughs> it's brilliant again. I, I mean, I just I just went uh, led with iconic again because I, I just don't really know what to say. Like every song is just packs a punch in this one, and I think yeah, like you say, like this song is just so funny because he's teaching them not to use bad language through a song that features so much, <laughs> so 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 many horrible and yet amazing phrases. I mean, the line about. Um, don't want to be homeless on the streets giving hand jobs for smack. <laughs> <laughs> just every time I listen to the song over the past couple of days, I just couldn't stop laughing at that line. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah, I think there's that lack of awareness from the kids, actually, what they're saying as well. Just like the entire film, they don't realise that these sort of things they're saying actually have a lot of power or, you know, they do for the, in the way that the adults react to them. The kids don't really care. It did teach a generation of children uh, what the Latin for generosity was, though. 
But is it? <laughs> is it not? <laughs> I don't... Well, when I've looked up what the Latin for generosity is, <laughs> it is... <laughs> it's not this. It's not big. Um, no, it seems to be liberal liberalitis or liberalitis. So I can't begrudge them the rhyme <laughs> because that wouldn't work. Um, but, you know, the rest works. Definitely. Much like all the songs, my notes just say great song, which I'm going to say every single time because every single one is good. Um, what I will say about this song compared to all the others, this is the one that reminds me most of Book of Mormon. Okay, yeah. You can sort of hear one of the, the lead people at the settlement. I don't even know what, what the what? area they go to in the musical. Uganda. Well, I meant like, like the missionary place, yeah, yeah, yeah. the actual location. I can hear the, the the lead guy singing this song, but obviously not about swearing. Yeah, no, I I, I see where you're coming from. I think I think it's just when I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics again, it's just so clever how they fit in the humour. And like I say, Book of Mormon's a fantastic example for that. I think what I love about the Book of Mormon is that it eases you into the offence. Like, until it gets to the... I don't know if you guys have seen it, actually. I haven't seen Yeah, I've seen it. Most of the orig- the early songs are very sort of clean, aren't they? Uh, until you get to Hasadiga Ibawai song, um, which kind of just yeah. fully goes in hard. <laughs> uh, like, you know, cursing, like, the intent, the message. They really, you know, it's it still has a point, but they just deliver it without guard. And I think this is what happens throughout this film. It's clever. It's smart. It's got great sort of musical know-how, but it's still crude and it's still offensive. But it because of because it's clever, it works. Yeah. Again, like we've said, like the songs are playing off like sort of classic Broadway, but you can you can see like things like a spoonful of sugar and stuff in this song, can't you? <laughs> yeah. That yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like trying to turn um someone's perspective through the medium of song. And I think that's like this is what this song is. It's that kind of classic um, oh yeah, but how do you look at things this way? You know, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone and, busts out a piano, a little vaudevillian piano song. Yeah, and it just, it just, it really just, it hits all those notes, and it just, obviously, like yeah, with all, all the vulgar like just thrown in, which just makes it ten times better. Now, unfortunately, the kids, even though they take on the beautiful words of Mister Mackey, they go back and see Asses of Fire, <laughs> and so there's this perpetual circle in which the Adults, the parents of South Park, really don't know what to do. And so they turn to the thinking, whose fault is this? Because we all need someone to blame in life. And so they blame Canada, the birthplace of Terence and Philip. Now, this leads us on to probably what is, most obviously, the big song of this film. Because of its success outside of the movie. Which is Blame Canada. So this song marks the formation of the Mothers Against Canada, which is the organization that would ultimately spark the American-Canadian War. It's just hilarious to say. (laughs) This has had a lot of success outside the film, and we're going to go into this a lot. Guys, what do you think of this one? It's a great song. (laughs) (laughs) We just go, I I could just do sound bites. I could just put my feet up and just keep saying that constantly. Where's the bar? Where's the bar currently at, Dee? We're working with your mind as it's going, since you've not decided what's your favourite. Well, currently they're all 10 out of 10, so like, <laughs> even if you rate them on a curve, it's still 10 out of 10 for all of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm saying this for all the songs, it packs again so much into it, and ridiculously catchy. The bit where they say, it's not even a real country anyway, <laughs> <laughs> has been living in my head rent-free for maybe 20 years now. 
I think about it all the time. Yeah, it's, a, it's in one of the notes I immediately wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we've kind of touched on already, but this film is sort of the real nope of the full film, isn't it, really? This yes, idea yes. of... Um, this song. Yeah, yeah, this song. Uh, uh, the idea of parents kind of trying to blame everything for their behaviour except their own. I just, I think it's just so well done in this film and it's so clear what they're trying to poke fun at. But oh, they yeah. do it in such a way that's both funny and also just so original. Like, it's just, I just, I just think, um, I think it's no surprise that this one kind of is the one that permeates one because it's, yeah, the main compass of the film. But it, I think it has so many just components that just work so well and it has, I suppose it has, there's more um, range of voices that come into it. It feels more like a company piece. I know, like, obviously it's led by Sheila Broklowski, but you get Sands von Kartman's mum and Kenny's mum as well, and the, the random guy who says it's not even a real country anyway. Um, <laughs> but, and, oh and, it, and it feels like it's a real song that they can people can cling on to, but it also it's probably the one song that really does lack profanity. I mean, I think yeah. it probably yeah, has some in there. It, oh, yeah, yeah, some, yeah, some, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, so, and my boy Eric once had my picture on his shelf, and now when I see him telling me to fuck my, he tells me to fuck myself. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, obviously has that line in there, but generally it's one of the ones that just sort of yeah. lacks the swears, doesn't it? So it's probably, I can see why this one was latched on to by the general media as like the pin-up for the film, maybe. Yeah. And they were really happy with that because they said it was the most ridiculous thing that who could we pin blame on in the film? That's just ridiculous. And it was Canada because like the reasons they give in the song, they're all so wet and soft with all their hockey hullabaloo and that bitch Anne Murray too. There's no there's no weight behind it because what can you really get mad at them for? Um, and stupidity of the argument is emphasised in the last bit. We must blame them and cause a fuss before somebody thinks of blaming us. So, yes, this song was nominated for an Academy Award. They said as they were writing it that they actually thought they might have a chance of getting nominated. Unfortunately, it did lose out at the 72nd Academy Awards. Do we know what to? 99. Wild Wild West. <laughs> it wasn't Wild Wild West, fortunately. Oh, God. What? Is it a song we've covered? Uh, no, not yet, but we will definitely one day. It was Phil Collins' You'll Be In My Heart oh, from my Tarzan. Oh, God, that's a good song. And actually, they um, do parry to that in one of the episodes. I don't they, down there, because don't. of this. Yeah, which yes, makes sense. Though. They said, because they um, said at the award ceremony or afterwards, we expected to lose. We just really didn't want to lose to Phil Collins. <laughs> 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 Are we all aware of the Trey Parker and Matt Stone's visit to the Oscars that year? I think you covered it in one of the Oh, episodes. is that when he wore, wore dresses? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. So obviously there's a strict dress code, but they managed to find a loophole by wearing dresses. So ball gown dresses. I think it was like a dress like Jennifer Lopez had worn in a previous year or something like that, and another famous actress, and took a lot of LSD and <laughs> basically just tripped balls. Tripped balls. Um, and I, <laughs> I think their, um, their composer, Mark Scheiman, who also went with them, dressed as a pimp. <laughs> so they clearly went to have fun. Um, yeah, it was Jennifer Lopez and Gwyneth Paltrow, famous Oscar dresses from previous years. Um, and yes, the uh, Mark Scheinman wore a furry blue and grey pimp suit. So they were clearly having fun. And the song was performed at that Oscars. Uh, it was performed by Robin Williams. He did a version where he kind of turned, so he didn't say the swears. 
it's kind of a very sort of marching song. I think they changed some of the lyrics slightly. But um, yeah, it's not a bad performance, actually. <laughs> to say that they actually performed a song from this film at the Oscars. <laughs> but kudos for at least nominating them. You'll Be In My Heart is a better song, sorry. The song was also nominated for the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Songs. Didn't make the final list, uh, which is a real shame because I would have loved that to have been cemented alongside the American Film Institute because they're, it's not the best organisation anyway. It's not the best organisation anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The next song is the one with the most swears per minute, Kyle's Mom's a Bitch. This is a song that has already been featured in the South Park TV show, but it is extended for this film. It's weird. I had a weird uh, thing with this. Not a weird thing, but when I listened to all the songs back, this was obviously one of the ones that I I really remembered. And I think at the time when when we watched it, this is probably the one that everybody was singing. One probably because there's like the least lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easy you know, to remember. It's instantly like uh, remember, you know, like you remember it quite easily. But when I would listen to them this time, it was one of the ones that actually I didn't really have much nostalgia for. Like I didn't listen to it. Go, oh yeah, how amazing was this one? It was just like, oh yeah, it's the Kyle's Mum's a bitch song. The parts I really do enjoy. I mean, it's still great, obviously. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna. There's no sacrilege here. It's still great and a play with the rest of the song. <laughs> the parts I really do enjoy are is that is the end part. This sort of like. Uh, brass band breakdown like shit where it goes like all show and he gets the jazz hands out <laughs> that part is just is outstanding i think there are some there are some dicey bits in the middle with those um let's hear the song from Different around languages. the world just yeah. a tad um, very of the time yeah very of the time um so i think as you know as classic and and uh sort of iconic as the song is and i'm sure a lot of people remember it i think i just didn't quite it didn't quite have the same effect on me as it probably did when I was a nine, ten-year-old. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. It's a great song. <laughs> Soundbite. Dee's not actually here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a great song. I did not know that it was a sort of a reprise on the TV show. Yeah. Didn't know that. That, knock, that knocks a point, so we've finally got a nine out of ten. <laughs> yeah, it's in season one. It's the episode, the Mr. Hanky one. I actually think the bits in the different languages is not quite as uh, sort of, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, but likely to get someone cancelled, as I think people think it is, yeah. because I think it's done knowingly. Well, it's the it's the actual lyrics. It is sung in like you know Swahili, Dutch, French, and Chinese as close yeah. to possible. I mean, as a kid, I just thought they were just being offensive and just you know making noises. But that's clearly the actual that is the actual translations. It's one of those things, and it? it's very difficult. They offend everyone. Um, that's know, what that's they say, kind of isn't it? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, saying, we're, yeah, we're offensive every, to everyone. Everyone, is, everyone can be offended. Um, and it said, doesn't it say in the disclaimer in the beginning that nobody should watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, does, yeah, that yeah. we impersonate like people badly or something like that, isn't yeah. it? Like the voices, the so uh, celebrities doing this are impersonated badly. Yeah, I think it says it, and it's offensive to everyone, and no one should watch something along those lines. Although in this film, George Clooney actually does do his actual voice. <laughs> does he? Does he? George Clooney is in this film, yeah. He's, you know, the guy in ER who puts Kenny's, yeah, uh, yeah. who does the operation on Kenny. That is George Clooney. That is it, right. <laughs> yep. I know why it's George Clooney. Go on. Because he did the voice of the dog on the TV show. Really? God, I didn't know that. Yeah, so so he asked to be on the show and they were like, well, if you're going to be on the show, you could you just be like a dog. And he actually turned up and recorded the dog's nice. noises. So when they came out to do the movie, they were like, okay, you, you've solved one is over, you can be in the film, sort of thing. <laughs> um... I love the ending, like the sort of the, you know, the breakdown bit. That's the best bit. Yeah. Quick fact on this one. They use the word bitch 56 times. So that's eight uses of the word bitch per second. That's some good going. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that brings an end to part one of our look at the songs of South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. We'll be back next week with the other half of the movie. And if you're listening to this well after its release date, it's already there. So just go and hit play. So goodbye, everybody. Bye. All the Baldwins are dead. <laughs> All the Baldwins. <laughs> <laughs>